very excited to be here. Wow, what a turnout. Um, obviously, I don't know that our faith was very good in terms of the number of chairs we put out here. <laughs> so y'all can just keep coming right on in, but I'm a man of my word, and we're going to start at 7 o'clock, and we're going to end at 8 o'clock, just like I said, and uh, unless the Holy Ghost falls in here and we all fall out. <laughs> and then we'll just let him do whatever he, yeah, whatever happens after that is it on him, not on me. Uh <laughs> Pardon? We're going to have to get some more chairs. Okay, praise the Lord. My goodness. All right, thank you all for setting up some more chairs. Um, Okay, a real quick announcement here. Uh, As long as this works, now we may need to move to the auditorium very quickly and forget this deal. Uh, CJ, uh, we've had to add some chairs in here, which is a good thing, right? Praise the Lord. So we may abandon this, and so this announcement doesn't mean anything. But right now, until we hear otherwise, we're only going to open this door right here for security purposes on Wednesday night, okay? Uh, and so we, we're just going to have that door open only on Wednesday night. So when you come into the church on Wednesday night, you'll need to use this youth, we call it the, I call it the youth room door to access the building. And honestly, I'm kind of thinking that we're going to end up moving to the auditorium very quickly and bypass this little room. I like the familial atmosphere here. I like the closeness and so forth. Um, And it makes us sit together, doesn't it? You can't spread out like you can in the big auditorium. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to get right into it this uh, this afternoon. I'm used to the teaching in the morning, so I've got to get used to that. Let's just pray for a minute here. Father, we're grateful for Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. We extol him to the highest level right now. Jesus, you are the light, you're the word, you're the truth. And we invite you right now into our midst. Jesus, we invite the light. We want illumination. We want revelation. We want understanding. Jesus, we want to be fed the bread of life. Hallelujah. And we thank you for your word, oh God, that's going to come forth. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, and I yield unto you, and you are the the one that leads us in the truth and knowledge. And I just yield my vessel unto you, Holy Ghost. Would you would you pour your grace out? Would you would you be faithful to just move, oh God, and multiply your word and revelation to these people that are hungry, oh God, Father God, multiplied revelation. And all glory and honor unto our Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, The Lord never let up from the last time I spoke. I think it was on the 30th of of March or 31st of March. With respect, I'll give you a little bit of a glimpse into uh, uh, an aspect of Abraham's life. Or Abram's life, to be more accurate. And um, so we're not, uh, he never let up. He gave me something that weekend and it's just like no 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 that's i mean i did just this is where we're gonna go so that's what we're gonna do i i was gonna uh talk about abiding in the vine more and get more in detail about that and we'll save that for a later time because i feel like this is where we're supposed to go so i titled this a word for us trust a word for us trust I'm one of these guys that like to put colons in titles, you know, and they like make these compound titles. I don't know what the deal is about that, but it just looks cool to me, uh, if nothing else. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is I want to just kind of found what we're going to talk about here a little bit. And I'm in no way going to endeavor to cover the depths of Abram's experience, but we're going to give a couple of, of thoughts as we move through this as it pertains to this topic. For, 
but to found all this, if you all will just kind of in your mind think about three things, keep three things in your mind. First of all, what does it mean to trust God? I want you all to be kind of thinking about that as we're going through this top, these top, this topic and we, we begin to uh, <clears throat> delve into Abram's life as it pertains to this. Second of all, how, how do you trust him? How do you trust him? How do you trust him? Okay, so third of all, do I trust him? Okay, I mean, do I really trust him? So those are the three questions. What does it mean to trust God? How do you trust him? And do I trust him? I mean, do I really trust him? And so just kind of keep that as kind of the overarching context, you know, of thought as we're going through this. And we're going to jump right into this. Uh, I think I I left you all with a little teaser, asked you to maybe consider uh, staying, you know, going, starting about in Genesis 12 and, and spending some time in those next few chapters studying a little bit, meditating about Abram's life, who later became known as Abraham because of the covenant that was cut with him and God. Uh, And incidentally, if we don't talk about that, I mean, uh, you know, when that covenant was cut, I mean, God gave Abram a portion of his name, the huh, you know, in Jehovah. He gave the huh to him because they united together and uh, in that covenant. And, you know, honestly, that's I think that's where the whole concept of wives taking on the name of their husbands comes from. It's a model of covenant, Uh, you know, and so much about our culture. And I got to be careful not to get off on covenant because that is a rough topic for me not to spend a lot of time. It's particularly near and dear to my heart. Uh, But our culture does a lot to denigrate the institution of marriage. And to denigrate its value and its importance. And, and the bottom line is it's covenant relationship. And it's not just a covenant. It's a blood covenant relationship where one life for another is is given. And for a woman to take on the name of the man is covenant. I'm just going to throw that out there. So there's your trivial tidbit for tonight. We're going to go right into the Abram thing now. But Okay, so... <clears throat> So the first thing, so I, I told you all uh, in the teaser, if you will, that basically the story of Abram is a real clinic in trust. I mean, if you want to, if you want to look at any part of the Bible in terms of of uh, how to learn how to trust God, to learn the process, to learn and see examples of of the way someone came into trusting God, Abram's life is really tough to beat. It's really a clinic in trusting God, and so. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the elements of trust, okay, the elements of trust and developing trust specifically. And so I'm going to basically just give you a bunch of lessons here from Abram's life. And uh, the first lesson we're going to talk about, lesson number one in trust is obedience. So if you'll turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now, Wednesday nights are teaching nights. Teaching is near and dear to me because that happens to be the fabric of, of, of my being. That's how God's made me. I, I love to teach. I love to disseminate knowledge, whether it's the Bible, whether it's, it's, it's you know, material knowledge, whatever it is. I just love to teach. I, that's the way God made me. And I can't help but, but do that. And so, and I like to take solace in the fact that it said that Jesus went about teaching first, then preaching, and then healing and I like the fact that teaching comes first because, you know, bottom line is teaching is is explaining things. You know, I've talked about that before. You know, I learned that from Bob Yanny. Teaching is explanation. You know, uh, uh, prophecy is proclamation and, 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 and or declaration and preaching is proclamation. And so teaching is explaining things, you know, and it's important because that's how th- the foundations get laid in people's life. I'm all about foundations. That's why I'm a bass player. Because I like laying that foundation down. I love foundation stuff. But teaching also builds on that foundation too. So it's very important. So the first lesson we're going to learn here is about obedience. And uh, <clears throat> so let's just look right here in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now, I, uh, I'm i going to use multiple translations. So I hope it does not throw people. Okay, and if you have some questions, please come and ask me about that. I'm sorry, but I have embraced technology. This is my Bible. And uh, um, it is incredible. I love this. 
I've got like 50 Bibles in here. Some are really, really good. Some of them I don't care a whole lot about, the translations, but most of them have got some really neat insights. And so uh, I like to look at different translations and so forth. And so if, if I throw you a little bit with a certain translation, I'm going to try to give you translational references uh, when it seems, you know, when I go really off tangent, <laughs> you know, from the normal stuff. A lot of times I'm kind of in the NIV a lot of times. Uh, I'll give NIV because I, th- I think a lot of people use NIV here at the church. And, of course, the New King James. I'm not real big on just King Jimmy straight. But I like New King James a lot because it takes a lot of the these and thous and thuses and the hithers and the withers and all that stuff out of it. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to understand. <clears throat> so I'm going to go to the NIV here. And so let's start here in, in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Okay, so the first thing I want to bring out here, we've talked, we're talking about the first lesson of trust, and it's obedience. And uh, I want you to see that before God ever even gives Abram a promise, he gives him a directive. Isn't that interesting? Before he ever gives him a promise that, folks, to this day impacts our lives. To this day and for, for forever will impact eternity, the promise that was given here because it set in motion the, the ability for the covenant to be cut with man. The blood, you know, the covenant that would eventually uh, allow Jesus to come, the Father to give Jesus. And so I'm, I'm talking about serious gravity things here. <laughs> but before that promise ever even was, was, was even you know, spoken to Abram, he gave him a directive. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, what in the world kind of a directive is that? Go to some place I'm going to show you? Well, I'm going to shed a little bit of light. I think that tonight a lot of people may not have ever seen, including myself, until I began digging into this. It wasn't as innocuous as it seems in terms of, of a direction, but it but it was at the same time, too. So what, it, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look, actually, in the previous chapters, um, you'll see that Noah actually cursed Ham's child, Canaan. Y'all remember that? If you can back up to, I think, we're not going to go there, but we can back up just a couple chapters in Genesis, and you'll see that Noah, because why? Because Noah became a farmer after he hit the earth. Guess what he grew? He grew grapes, and he... Grew him so well, he had wonderful harvest, and he made wine, and he got drunk one time on the wine because he was given too much of it, and he shamed himself. I mean, he ended up in a situation compromised before his children, and you'll recall that one of the children came in and and exposed his father's shame to the rest of the family, and the other two, Shem uh, 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 and Japheth, they came in, and it says they walked in backwards with a blanket, you know, and, and covered up their father and, you know, to preserve his, his honor, you know, the integrity of his honor. Well, then, of course, when Abram came out, or Abram, when Noah came out of that, then it says that he realized what had happened, and it says that he literally cursed his son. And it wasn't really his son. It was his son's son, Canaan. And, uh, and so you'll see that that curse, you know, ends up being really a reverse for the other two sons. It becomes a blessing because Canaan is, is cursed to serve both of them. And so if you, let's just turn back because I want you to, I want you to see this in a word. This is not just my opinion or whatever. This is word of God. And please look this stuff up. Don't just depend on the preachers and the teachers and take everything they say at face value. Listen to your heart first and foremost. Something don't make sense. Go talk to them. But most importantly, go to the word of God and find it for yourself. Amen. I'm always, I'll be the first one to tell you that. Prove it out, you know, by the word of God. And if you look here in the last verse, what does it say? It says, Terah, and guess who Terah is? He's the father of Abram. It says, he took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to where? To Canaan. Because Canaan actually became the land that was settled by Canaan, the one that was cursed. And so you'll see here that 
Terah actually set out to go to Canaan. And we're going to find out that guess what? Canaan becomes the promised land that Abraham is given. Do you all see that? Well, you're going to see it here in just a little bit. But I want you to see what the next sentence says. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So Terah fell short of really probably where they needed to go, ultimately, as a family. So I'm going to submit to you, and this is my, this thus saith Greg, it's not, I'm not telling you 100% thus saith the Lord, but I just, you know, I read this, I got to wonder myself. Terah had to have been walking out some of what he knew to be the promise of God in his life that Canaan would serve, would serve his progeny, would serve his family. That was the curse that Noah put on them. Do you all see that? You see what I'm saying? Terah had to in some way, I, I wonder if somehow God was in communication with Terah. Again, this is thus saith Greg because we don't have scripture to back this up. I mean, I don't see the, the detail in scripture here. But you've got to wonder yourself, why, is, why was Abram's father originally set out to take the family to Canaan, which was going to be the eventual place that Abram would end up and be the place that God says, this is what I'm giving to you. So you've got to wonder yourself, folks, I've never seen that before. Has anyone else ever seen that or, before? I'm like, what in the world? Terah must have, you've got to wonder if Terah knew a little bit of something. But, you know, as things have it sometimes in life, you come up against challenges or you come up against things that become comfortable and next thing you know, you come off of the, you, you get idle, you pull back. I don't know, this is the safe Greg again. You, you, you pull back off the road and, and park. And eventually, like the scripture says, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They started out going to Canaan, but then they settled in Haran. Okay, so now let's go to to chapter 12, and that's what we just read. And here God is giving him a directive. And what was it? Get up from where you're at and go to a place I'm going to show you. And guess what that place is going to be? It's going to be Canaan. Eventually. We'll see that in a couple chapters. But So isn't that interesting? So now the son's going to carry this on. I want to submit to you, as I've said before at times, do you realize that, and, and, and it very well may be the case, Terah was not the person to complete the promise or the covenant with God. It was going to be Abram, his son. So as much as I, I kind of cast a little bit of a negative light about Terah, perhaps it's exactly the opposite, and Terah took him as far as he really could go in God. And guess what? It's Abram's turn to tag his father and take on the rest of the way to f- fulfill what God has for him. Y'all see that? Isn't that interesting? Because as we sit here now, as I stand before you, I'm a parent. You, many of you all are parents. Many of you all are grandparents. You're in relationship with some, with a lot of people in your family. You're a child here. And to me, that's very exciting because you begin to realize, hmm, God can start a work in a family and it's just as much his will that that work that started in maybe a parent goes to the place that they're designed or destined to carry it to, and then guess what? The next person is designed to pick it up and take it to the next place they're designed to take it to. Y'all see that? I got to stay right in front of the microphone. I'm not doing this very right. We're trying to record this, so that's why I'm going to be bald and chained here. So... Isn't that cool? Uh, that's cool to me because it gives me hope. Because then be, you begin to realize, hmm, you know, I don't feel like I've done everything, you know, that that I have in my heart vision for. And, you know, we even see over, I think it's in Hebrews, about the, the, the hall of faith. And, you know, I've read that scripture over and over and over again about those people. And it says, you know, that he gave them a promise and it says they lived and died and didn't even see the fulfillment of it. Well, they didn't see the fulfillment of it in the natural, but guess what? They carried a they carried their weight of the significance of what they were supposed to do in the natural, and then in in and brought a momentum in the spiritual that was then transferred to their son, daughter, or to a to a, 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 a someone they mentored or discipled. I mean, Jesus did that with the disciples, didn't he? 
He said, boys, as I am in this world, so are you. I'm leaving you, and I'm not leaving you by yourselves. I'm fixing to release the same thing that was in me without measure, and it's the Holy Ghost, and he's going to come. And when he comes on, he's going to give you power to do the things that, you know, you need to do when I leave because I can't be here to do them anymore. You saw, y'all see what I'm saying? He did the same thing. He started a spiritual momentum and a spiritual uh, significance in terms of, uh, of things for the will of God to be established, the kingdom of God to be established, that we're carrying out today because of that. So that's what's happened here. We're talking about the first lesson of trust, which is obedience. This is the wonderful thing about this Wednesday night deal is I get, I get future weeks to finish things up. I don't have to be like, oh, my goodness, I've only got next Sunday. And that's it. So, you know, we'll, the Holy Ghost can take this as long as he wants to take it. Because I'm going to go with the unction in my heart on this stuff. And I'm, I, it's here right now on this, what we're talking about. Obedience. So he gives him a directive. And I, I just want to encourage you, though. You know, don't beat yourself up for where you're at in life. You know what? Do what you know to do. Do what you have light to do. And be faithful in that. Do what you have light to do and what you have grace to do. And guess what? It may not be that you are to complete the fullness of that vision God's given you. Maybe it's that you were to start it and you were to, to pour a foundation and, 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 a, and build a fabric of truth in your child who is going to be the one in your Abram who's going to be the one that's going to take that and be the one that God actually manifests in the natural, the promise. But you had just as much a part in the weight of carrying that and manifesting it as your child will. Y'all see that? Yeah, amen, that's right. Amen, that's right. That's why I'm giving this, I'm telling you this, because I feel like the Holy Ghost wants to stir up some confidence and, some, and, 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 and stir up some, some warm, uh, warmth in your heart for what you've been committed to and what you've done. Parents, my goodness. Moms, what you do in your child is invaluable. The time you spend with them, what you pour into them, the love and the nurture you give them. Because you don't know. You've got an Abram sitting there, gender neutral. You just don't know, you know, what God has there. Okay, let's move off of that. Okay, so the first thing was is a directive was given and then a promise. And it says that... Uh, well, I'm in verse. Thir- I'm in chapter thirteen. Go back to twelve. It says, "I will make you into a great nation." So here comes the promise, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who cur- who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so there's the promise. Now, wonderful. My goodness, what if God manifested Himself and told you that? Would that impact your life? Would you feel like that you're pretty special? I mean, oh, yeah, you bet, Amy. I'd, I'd be like, oh, my goodness. You, I, 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 you're going to pour out your blessings on all nations through me? What? You know, I mean, that's a tremendous promise. And so we see the directive is given, and then the promise. I'm going to tell you that that's going to be a lot the same that happens in our life. Because why? Because God needs to see if you're going to be obedient first. He, he, the only way promise can be manifest is if is through obedient vessels. So obedience is the most important thing, not the promise. It's obedience, whether or not the heart of obedience is there. I think there's a less an object lesson in that. Okay, so the second part of that is that most importantly, Abram obeyed. So he did obey because it says in verse four, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So he got up and went. He obeyed, right? He did. Now, I'm going to say that Abraham might not have obeyed 100%, probably about 98.87999%, because he didn't completely leave all of his family like God. I mean, that's the way I read it anyway. That's the Greg now. That's the Greg now. He said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. That's what it says. And to me, that means you get up and leave your relatives. You leave all behind that you've known. But guess who he took with him? He took what I call blanket with him. 
You know, Lot's name means covering. I call Lot from now on, I call him Blanket. You know, Michael Jackson, he had a son, he named him Blanket. Y'all remember that? Prince Michael or whatever, he called him Blanket. Which seems crazy, but Lot's name was Blanket. To use my old redneck conversion of the word covering. Blanket. Now, why am I saying that? Well, we'll get down to that a little bit later. Let's put it this way. What does a blanket do? Oh, it makes you feel nice and cozy. It reminds you feel homely. You feel warm. And you realize about Lot, if you study a little bit about his life, you realize that, you know, he's it's Abraham's nephew, so it's one of his brothers. Well, his brother died. And it seems that he died actually when Lot was pretty pretty young. So then Terah took took a cotton to Lot. You know what that means, the old colloquialism? He really liked him a lot. Grandfather Terah. And he just was really pleased, I mean, really, you know, affected by Lot. And I think Lot probably was a was a was kind of a favorite fair haired child in the family. That's thus saith Greg, but that's what I can read in the scriptures. And because of that, I think Abraham I think everybody liked him. Old blanket. Blanket lot. Warm fuzzy. Lot. So he went ahead and took lot with him. Took old blanket with him, you know. So I, you know, I don't know whether or not that's, you know, not completely obeying what God had told him. You, I'll leave that up to you. My personal opinion is I think he didn't completely obey God because we see it caused him some issues. Did it not? It did. But he did obey. God, uh, he got up and he went. Okay, he did obey that that directive. And um, okay, so I've talked about that. Okay, so let me one aspect of obedience here. So with no other direction, I want to leave you with this uh, uh, thought with regard to obedience. With no other direction, what I want to tell you tonight, based on what we've learned already. Do what you know to do. Yeah, God seemed to give an open-ended instruction. Get up and go to a land I will show you. Well, dear Lord, where is that land? A land you'll show me? Well, uh, at least point the direction I'm supposed to go. But then I've pointed out to you that since digging into this scripture, I realized back in that previous verse in chapter 11, that last verse, they were on their way to where Abraham eventually goes. And so guess what? Abraham already probably has in his mind. This thus saith Greg, but it seems logical to me. Hmm, daddy was headed to Canaan. We didn't make it there. God hasn't told me 100% where I'm to go. He just said go to the land. Daddy always told me about Canaan and about what Grandpa Noah talked about in terms of cursing, you know, the uh, ham. And so, you know, it seems like maybe I just keep on doing what daddy was originally set out to do. So we're going to Canaan land. Y'all see that? So Abram did what he had light to do, I think. That's just, that's saith Greg. But it seems right to me. Abram did what he, what he had some knowledge about. So you know what? We can learn from that. When you don't know what to do, do what you have, walk in the light you have. Even though God's giving you a promise and it seems huge and you're like going, oh my goodness, how do I get from, from, from A to Z? Well, let's forget about Z and let's find B first and then C. And because B a lot of times is real close to where you've been already. And you can see that. So, you know, unless God gives you a directive, otherwise do what you know to do. Man, I think there's a good lesson in that. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Chicken or egg, which comes first? Trust or obedience, which comes first? <laughs> I, it's a rhetorical question. I'm throwing it out there for you to ponder. It's it, to me, it's a chicken and egg deal. They go right together. I, I can't separate them. To, to to me, if you cannot obey, you will not trust, or you do not trust. I, but it's hard to obey what you don't trust. Y'all see that? It's chicken or egg to me. But I think we can learn something here in Abraham's life in terms of what he does. So what does obedience really mean? I think it's important to define that. And to me, it just came to me very simply. It means to conform to someone's will. 
Obedience means to conform to someone's will. It doesn't mean that you're saying their will is better than yours. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the reason why you do it. I'm not talking about motive. It just means that you do what you do when you trust somebody. You conform to their will. Okay? And so my question to you tonight is, will you be conformed to his will? Capital H, his? You know, amen. Will you be conformed? You know, I was reminded, and I've been singing it over and over and over, and it's an old hymn, and I don't normally think of hymns all the time, but trust and obey. I know my parents know those that hymn, and they could probably stand and deliver it right now. You remember that hymn, Dad? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's a good message in that. Because really it goes together. You can't do one without the other. It's, tr- it's trust and obey. For there's no other way. I like that. And to me, I'll go ahead and finish that part up by saying that lack of obedience, to me, is a strong indicator of distrust. And so as you sit here now, I want you to think, think about your life in God. And, and what you know you're supposed to be doing. What you know by the word you're supposed to do. And so forth. And think to yourself, how much of that am I really obeying fully? And then when you think to yourself, well, I'm maybe 80% obedience. I'm probably, I'm going to say that with a pretty high certainty that the remaining 20% is probably be due to a trust issue with God. Do you all see that? I'm not saying it's 100%, but it's, it's, I'm going to say probably with a pretty good deal of certainty, if you're not obeying, it's probably because of a trust issue. So you need to search your heart. You need to have the Holy Ghost bring light to your soul and say, you know, Spirit of God, am I not trusting you somewhere? Am, am I not trusting you fully? Because I can't seem to, 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 to fully do what you've asked me to do here along these lines. I'm just throwing that out there rhetorically. You think about that. Okay, so then kind of the, the, the next uh, item with respect to obedience. Man, I, I tell you, obedience, I couldn't get off of it. Uh, uh, and this is just the first of about ten lessons we're, we're going to go through here with Abram, at least that I have to date. Um, obedience is of utmost importance to God. I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, it's like the Holy Ghost would just would not let me off of this concept. And I'm not I'm not saying this because I'm admonishing people and saying you got we're a bunch of we're a disobedience lot out here. I don't believe that. But at the same time, there's obviously he he's emphasizing this for a reason. I think it's very important. Very important that we get that we get this in the in the in the fabric of our foundation with regard to trust. It's of utmost importance to God. And so let me give I'm gonna back out of the the, the Abraham experience and give you a couple other examples. One that just immediately came to my heart was Saul. Oh, my goodness. Saul was Israel's first king. Everybody remember that? You know, in Israel, my goodness, man. The prophet tried to tell him over and over again, look, you don't want a king. This is the, this is the Greg version of the, of the word here. He's like, look, look, if you have a king, you're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to serve him. His interests are going to be the ones that are the focal point, not the collective of the people, so on and so forth. He tried to tell him over and over again, Samuel, tried to tell him over and over again, you don't want a king. You don't want a king. You don't want a king. And Israel kept coming back, no, we want a king because it's cool. It's cool to have a king. We've got to have a king because everybody else has a king. And it looks cool to have them ride around in chariots and, you know, and have to carry the scepter and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It looks cool. We've got to have a king. Again, this is the Greg version. And so finally, Samuel relented. You know, because God basically, okay, they want a king. Here's the deal. You tell them straight up. This is what way it's going to be. And, of course, you know, so we know what happens. And Saul becomes the first one. And, you know, Saul, he, he did things okay for a while. <laughs> you know, as, as long as he listened to the prophet and he did exactly what the prophet told him to do. But then what happened? Well, we see things come apart real quickly here in 1 Samuel 15. And the word of the Lord comes to, to Samuel, and Samuel tells him, look, you got to go out and kill 
the, all these people. He said, you take the, the armies and you go out here and you wipe them off the face of the earth. He says, there can't be an animal living. There can't be anything, not a child, not a woman. And I know this sounds brutal. It sounds terrible. But this is exactly the word that came from the Lord to Saul. And he said, you take them out here and you do this. And so Saul goes out. And he starts out pretty good. Because he kills all the people. Pretty much. But then he decides, hmm. Agog, the king, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I spared him and brought him back to the prophet. Kind of like a trophy. That's that saith Greg, but I mean, it's kind of what it looked like to me as a trophy deal, you know. And then Saul also decides, and the men decide, he, you know, he says that the men decided to save some of the best of the animals because guess what? If we save the best of the animals, we can bring them back and sacrifice them to the Lord. Man, this sounds great. Oh, my goodness. You know, I know that Samuel said not to do anything but wipe them off the face of the earth, including their animals and anything that belonged to them. But you know what? To bring these back and, like, sacrifice all these really, I mean, these these are spotless lambs. These are spotless bulls. I mean, come on, we've got to bring these back and sacrifice. Man, that's going to, we've got to be pleased with that. He has before when we've brought these, done these sacrifices. Let's just bring it back and please God. Well, why am I digressing and bringing so much light to this? Because I think we can learn something here. Because it seemed good, doesn't it? Didn't it? The justification seemed to be in line with the process of sacrifice and the process of religion that God had set out, you know, for them to have to go through in order to, for them to be justified in his eyes. But the problem was, it was disobedience. And it says here in uh, verse 22, what is more, so here comes Saul and immediately the spirit of the Lord comes to Samuel and says, my goodness, Samuel, Saul has disobeyed me. And as Samuel can't hardly believe, Saul is like a son to Samuel. And he just can't hardly believe it. But of course, he knows not to, not to uh, disregard God speaking to him. And he takes it very seriously. So when Saul comes up, then he comes up and he's extolling the virtues of what he's done here. Hey, Samuel, look here. I brought, I wiped out everybody, but I brought the king up here, you know, for everybody to see as a trophy for what we've done here in overtaking this nation. And not only that, you know, we've got all these nice animals to sacrifice and stuff. And Samuel immediately rebukes him. And he tells him, you know, what is all the, he said, he tells him, you, you didn't obey the Lord. And Saul's like, what do you mean I didn't obey the Lord? And he's like, what is all this lowing of sheep in my ears? And what do I see this king standing before me and all this? The Lord, to, I told you explicitly what the Lord said. So here in verse, and, and so Saul says something back to him. Here's what he says. He says, and this is where we hear this verse quoted many times, at least the last part of it. First Samuel 15, 22, what is more pleasing to the Lord? What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. My goodness, there's some very significant things there. Because when you look at things like burnt offerings and sacrifice, you know what? There is such a value placed on the process of religion. And that's really all it is. And I've said, the Holy Ghost gave this to me. It is not about the process. It's about the posture. It is not about the process. It is about the posture. And what is a posture? Of, uh, it's, I'm talking about the posture of obedience. The posture of your, you submitting and conforming your will to his will. That's a posture that God is pleased with. And so forget the process. That's what Samuel's telling him. He, he says, listen. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is... In other words, conforming your will to his is better than suffering or offering the fat of rams. And here it goes, the last verse, 23rd verse here. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. How many of y'all have ever heard that? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's where the scripture comes from, right? Here it is, 1 Samuel 15, 23. And stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Oh, my goodness. How important is obedience? It is, in, it is as important as, as you uh, worshiping God or something else beside him. That's what the scripture says. 
That's what it says. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. In other words, doing what you want to do instead of conforming your will to his is idolatry. That's what it says. And so I just want to leave you with that again. What is more important? What's more pleasing to the Lord? Sacrifices, burnt offerings. Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what the prophet said to Saul. And then, of course, after that, we know what happened. Saul just went on this to the place that literally, isn't it interesting, right before he ended his life, or right before his life ended, he went to, to divination in order to try to uh, hear from God again. Y'all know that? Went to the witch of Endor. That's a real person. It's not just in the movies. And he, he, he went to a diviner, and she conjured the spirit of Samuel back to speak to him and Samuel didn't have anything to say, but what he told him before he died. You're, I told you, you're cut off, boy. And you're not going to understand this. And, and then not very long after that, he was, dead, he was killed. Okay, I, I get off into the details of all that. It's real, it's real exciting to me, all that stuff, but I know it's not to everybody. Okay, so, uh, okay, so the second thing about how the object lesson about the importance of obedience to God being pushed, being pulled, being drug along a path is not obedience. You know, I, my dad's laughing back there. <laughs> you know, kids oftentimes, this seems to be the process, you know, with kids a lot of times is, is and, and maybe it's even, maybe it's even uh, subversive and it's, it's coercion mentally somehow. You're coer- you know, it's coercion in trying to get your kids to obey. But a lot of times it's like, you do that now or else. How many of y'all ever heard that in your life? How many of y'all ever got the or else? I got it a couple times. That's why my dad's back there laughing. (laughs) But then also, too, he's probably laughing because he's thinking about the animals that he's dealt with through his life. Because that's what I thought about. And I'm going to give you a a wonderful scripture. Psalm 32.9. This is an excellent scripture. I love this verse, too, in, in, the, in the contemporary English version. This is a different er, version than what a lot of people probably have seen. But you go look it up, C, the C-E, CEV. It says, I'm sorry, but this is what Scripture says. It said, don't be stupid like horses and mules that must be led with ropes to make them obey. That's what we're getting at here. We're saying, I'm telling you that being pushed, pulled, drugged, hit, beat into along a path is not obedience. But you can be pushed, pulled, dragged. And in some time, sometimes, honestly, I wish God would just go ahead and do that with me. Don't you all? Sometimes I wish God would just like, boy, here you're going to go right down here. And just push you right down it so you stay right on the path you're supposed to be on, even though you're kicking and screaming in it. You know, like you do little kids a lot of times, or your dog. Come on, Fido, you know. And whatever the case might be, you know, horse. I mean, I've led horses. I've led, I had a calf one time, limousine heifer. Oh, my goodness. I took every bit of physical uh, uh, pain that calf could dish out. She drug me through barbed wire fences. She kicked me. She got me up against a trailer wall one time and about tore my knee into. I mean, I had that, but I earned that calf's respect because I never let go of the rope. I mean, and I, as much as I could hang on to it, and I kept coming for more. And eventually that calf let me hug on her. I could, like, grab her on the neck. Anybody else come up to her and she'd kick the fire out of them. And, and, and Miss Meredith can attest to that because she got kicked by her. Uh, but boo, she loved me, man. But I took everything that calf would give out. Don't be like, like the horses and mules that have to have a bridle put in their, their, and a bit put in their mouth and, and, and pulled and contorted in order to, to have their direction given to them. That's not obedience. And just, just like the scripture comes through, you know, David there, that is, that's not obedience. God doesn't want to do that with us. He's not going to. And I like what the Bible in basic English says, and I'll just leave the rest of it to you. Do not be like the horse or the ass. And now I'll move on to the next lesson. That's what the scripture says. I did not put that in there. The rest of it says untranslated text. Okay. Okay, so the second lesson. So my goodness, we spent almost the whole time on obedience. I think it's pretty important. 
I feel like the Spirit of God really wanted to put an emphasis on that. And I want you just to think about that from the perspective of what we started out with in terms of how you trust God, in terms of this lesson of obedience in this and what part it plays. And I want you to think about where you are in terms of your obedience to God. You know, how much of your perspective, uh, you know, is a trust issue, you know, in terms of whether or not you obey God fully? How much of your um, time in terms of doing the things that you know to do is really more the pushing and pulling, you know, uh, concept versus going with the flow of the Spirit of God, being led by the, the, the Word and the righteousness in your heart, you know? I mean, that's what it says uh, in the New, you know, in, I think it's in Hebrews it talks about he'll write the law. It's not, it, it, God fulfilled the law in one aspect, but, but what he did really was he translated it from an outward fulfillment to then a spiritual fulfillment. Because then he says, I'll write the laws on their hearts. You know what I'm, you, you remember that scripture? I'll write it on their hearts. And, and, and put it in their, their, their minds, you know, and, and so forth. So that the laws of God are inside now because we're to be led from within. Not from that without, but from within. Not from the organized religious structures and edifices and things that people put so much credence into from a perspective of, of, uh, of righteousness and holiness, but we're to be led from the spirit of righteousness inside of us. That was a gift. Not something we earned, but was given to us. Amen? Praise the Lord. Okay, so the second lesson we're going to get into, and we're just about finished up, is you need to learn early to call on the Lord. Learn early to call on the Lord. And so if we look down here, let's go ahead and get down in here in verse... uh, uh, Six here. It says, Abram traveled through the land. This is Genesis 12, 6. We're going to be in Genesis throughout now. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem at the time the Canaanites were in the land. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. There he built another altar to the Lord. And what did he do? He called on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. So we, we, we don't see that Abraham hardly gets set out and makes very few miles here probably. Uh, and he's already calling on the name, on God. Because why? Because God said he's going to sh- get up and go to the land I'm going to show you. So he's calling on him to show him that land. That's what I. That's my version of the Bible. I mean, that's why. That's thus saith Greg. I mean, why would he call on him? Well, he's trying to get direction. So, so I would submit to you, call early and often on the Lord. I mean, I'm kind of being sarcastic about that. Of course, you better call early and often. Amen. That's right. Learn early. So the second lesson: learn early to call on the Lord, and particularly. And, I, you know, I, I told you about this uh, uh, that Sunday, but I'm going to bring it out again. I believe it bears repeating. Particularly when you find yourself between the house of God, which is Bethel, and a heap of ruins, which is Ai. Man, my goodness, what, what time do you really need to call on the Lord when you see yourself juxtaposed between those two things? You got the, you got the kingdom of God on one side, and you got a heap of ruins on the other. To me, that's a time you better be crying out to God. Oh, God, I'm just as equally equidistant from from your kingdom and your promises as I am from destruction. Because Ai in the Hebrew means heap of ruins. Bethel in Hebrew means house of God. So how cool is that? I've never heard that before or seen that before. It's really neat to me because it's very symbolic prophetically, I think. There Abram is struck between those two. He set himself between those two. And it says he called on the name of the Lord there. So you know what? Just because you find yourself betwixt and between, that's not the time to question the promise. That's not the time to question whether or not God's left you or to question whether or not you can trust God. That's a time you need to call out to him. If there's any time. You need to call out to him when you're between 
the kingdom in a heap of ruins. You know, my goodness. And that's what he did. He called out and it says that he, he uh, uh, set a, uh, an altar there. So, I mean, he's, it, to me, that always represents worship. Man, worship the Lord. My goodness. Worship the Lord. You know, that's the time to do that. Call out. Worship the Lord. And so uh, in verse 8, you know, for, for there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. There he built an altar of the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to move on now to the third lesson. Man, we spent a long time on the first lesson. I didn't get a whole lot of just like download, you know, for a couple of these lessons, but I did for the first one. It was a lot. Because I think they, a lot of them really speak for themselves. Call on the Lord. Third lesson. Let's just go ahead and read in Genesis chapter 12 now, 10 uh, for several verses here. It says, and I'm going to skim through these. I'm not going to read all this. uh, So verse 10 starts out, there's a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt. Anytime you see Egypt, it's always represented. I would say most of the time it's representative of the world. Okay, when you see the term Egypt in the Old Testament. And so really what you could say is, is that Abram, a child of God, went down to the world. (laughs) You know here. So there was a famine in the land. So here Abram is. He's where he's going, doing, walking in the light that he has. He's calling out to God. God even confirms the promise one more time. I mean, he says it to him one more time in a different way. It's, it's abbreviated, but it says it to him again there. And then, you know, and that was in verse 7. To your offspring, I'll give this land. He builds an altar. He goes on, gets between Bethel and Ai, builds another altar, worships the Lord. And then it says he set out and continued on. So he wasn't going a different direction. He was continuing on the same direction he was going. But then all of a sudden he runs into a lack. Famine is a lack. It's a lack of provision. It's a lack of sustenance. It's a lack, it may be a lack of water. A lot of times that was famine was caused by drought. There was no rain. They couldn't grow any grain. They had no food. And so there, that's a famine. And so here he runs into a famine on the road that God hadn't told him to turn left or right from. Now, this is thus saith Greg now, but I've just, you know, this seems right to me. He's going along. And then because of the famine, Abram, I think, because I can learn an object lesson, see an object lesson in this. Where do you want to do? You want to go to provision or to a place that you're comfortable potentially finding provision, right? That's an easy thing to do. That's what you, the first thing your soul wants to do, the first thing your flesh wants to do. Well, Abraham turns and goes to Egypt. And to me, Egypt represents the world. Uh, and so he, you know, I don't know. It doesn't say, I mean, we can't, we can't add to Scripture here, and I'm not going to do that. But you don't see any Scripture here that says, Abram asked the Lord, is it okay? Should I go to Egypt? Now, it doesn't say that he didn't either. But I'm just throwing that out there. It just says that there was famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt. (laughs) Okay. And so he goes, as he's going on, immediately his attentions come to Sarai. Because Sarai is is a lady that is beautiful, evidently. Strikingly beautiful. To the point that she's so beautiful that going into a foreign land, she's going to be stolen from Abram, taken from him which is a weird concept in my mind, but it happened back in the day. Um, and he already knows this because <laughs> he's telling Sarah right, up the, right off the bat, look, we're going to go down in here and you're going to tell a half lie, a half truth. That's a lot of people say he lied. Well, it was a lie, but really she was his sister too. But that's what he's like. He's like, you're going to tell him, you know, don't tell him that you're my wife, you know. Uh, and so when they see you, they're going to take you and so forth. So uh, he tells them to tell them a lie and so forth. So anyway, sure enough, they go in here, and that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh's servants see Sarai. They're like, oh, my goodness, this is the most beautiful one I've seen in my life. They run back to, to Pharaoh, tell him. And then Pharaoh says, bring her to me. And so Sarai gets taken. And you can see here, I'm not, I don't want to go through. I'll leave this, the reading up to you as far as the details and so forth. The bottom line is, man, Pharaoh ends up stricken with a curse as well as the rest of the people because they, they he messed, he's messing with a, 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 a man with a promise, you know. Despite the fact that Abram probably shouldn't be there necessarily, that's thus saith Greg now, despite that fact, 
the favor of God is still upon Abram. God hadn't pulled that off of him. And so we see that uh, eventually what it's a, what turns out to be a detour here. Abram gets Sarah back and so forth. And then he leaves unharmed. You know, I'm basically, you know, praise the Lord. That, whew, I made it out of that okay, you know. And thank God for the grace of God, for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy, man. Because I guarantee you, I've come away from a lot of situations like that where I'm going, shoo, man, that was a close one. <laughs> and I can see Abram saying the same thing as he's leaving Egypt behind him, you know, with his wife. Saying, oh, my goodness, I'm glad we made it out of that okay and didn't lose anything. Okay, because it says that he went on his way with his wife and everything that he had. So the third lesson, what is it? Be careful looking to the world for provision. Be careful. Be careful looking to the world for provision. And so there's there's a couple things here that we're going to zero in on for just a minute. Number one, if you find yourself there, go back and call on God. And we see in Genesis chapter 13, if you want to turn to that next chapter, it says, so Abram went up from Egypt. So he's leaving the world now, type in a shadow prophetically, leaving the world back to where, guess what, he was before. He goes back to where he, he last interacted with God. That's, that's what it seems like to me. And it says that he, in verse 3, he went from the Negev from place to place till he came back to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai. That's where he was before he went on and ran into the famine and went to Egypt, right? So now he's come full circle and he's come back. What is that representative when you turn back? There's one word that represents that. Or, or the, that's right. That's absolutely right. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we repentance, a lot of times we have this concept of sin. Well, repentance only takes place when you sin. I'm going to submit to you, no, not necessarily. Repentance is just a, a, a correction in your course. That's what Abram did. He, he realized, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't really probably get God's word to come down here, and I'm, I'm glad by his mercies I made it out of that. I'm going back to where I last talked to him, you know, got direction, and I'm going to talk to him there again. I'm going to worship him at that place again, and we're going to get direction this time and figure out where we're going to go. He turned back. That's repentance. That is repentance in its purest form, turning back. So if you find yourself there, i.e. in the place that God didn't really necessarily tell you to go to, but you went because it seemed right for you from a perspective of provision because you were in a famine situation. You went down there. You didn't really get the instruction of the Lord to do so, but you made it out of there by the mercies of God. Go back. Repent. Amen. That's right. Amen. Go back and call on God. My goodness. Consider your altar. The second thing, consider your altar of worship. That's what Abram did. He went back to his altar of worship. He went back. Consider also the word of God to you there. When God spoke, last spoke to you about the promise, when he last confirmed something to you, go back to that place and consider what it was he said. Consider that. Worship him there. Worship him there. And like I said, in my opinion, this is a lesson in repentance. In its purest form, I think, he turned back. That's what it seems like to me anyway, turning back. And so guess what time it is? It's 7.59, and I told you we're done at 8 o'clock. So that's what we're going to be. We're going to be done, and then we'll get into the fourth lesson uh, next week and finish this out, God willing. Praise the Lord. Father, we're grateful for always for an opportunity to hear your word. God, it's not man, Lord, or any glory or any concept of that, Father, in this. It's that Jesus gets exalted and that he gets disseminated, Father as best as we can, being led by the Holy Ghost and releasing the grace that God puts in our lives. And we thank you right now. I thank you for a spirit of revelation and wisdom, Father, to be upon these people. That, Father, the word does not fall lightly. That, Father, it falls on good soil. And, Father, it takes root, O oh God. And it's attended to, Lord. And it gets firmly implanted, Lord, and it produces a harvest, Father, 30, 60, and 100-fold return. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for leading us. Thank you for, for uh, bringing us light and leading us into the truth and knowledge of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.